Well, good morning. Cool, it's been an exciting morning. I've not had time to open up my sermon, so let's let's hope this goes smoothly. Yeah. The good news is, when I was just about to preach at the half past, at the quarter past nine service, I had a migraine and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see my notes, and it was a bit difficult. But thankfully, over the past hour and a half, the migraine's now gone. So the bad news for you guys is that I can see what I want to talk about. You know, so you're in trouble. So we've been doing a series where the preachers have got to preach on verses that that they like, that are special to them, that mean something or that just resonates in some way. And and the passage that I've read this morning is the one that I want to talk about. Uh, we had the, the, these verses. I'm going to focus mainly on, on John chapter 10 and verse 10. That is, is as if my screen would do what it's meant to do. There we go. Um, so we're looking at John chapter 10 and verse 10 uh, uh, mainly. I'm going to cover the rest, the rest of it as well. And John chapter 10 and verse 10 says this. I have come... Sorry, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. It's really, uh, in in these uh, verses here, the words are said by Jesus, and it's primarily about the job of the devil and the job of Jesus. The primary purpose, the primary purpose, Jesus so you ask Jesus, Jesus, why did you come? He could have said so many different things to answer that question. Think of all the things that he could have said that have been completely justifiable. I've come to die. I've come to give you salvation. I've come to show you how to live. He could have said so many things. But what he did say was, I have come that you may have an abundant life. That's what he did say. And he said, and by the way, the job of the thief is to steal, kill, and destroy life. You know, in these verses, it's very obvious to see that that Jesus is a shepherd. In other places, he calls himself a shepherd. And at at the exact point in time, he's actually referring to the Pharisees as the thieves. But just before, in chapter 8 and verse 44, he says to these same Pharisees, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. Nice thing, isn't it? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And in other places, he calls Satan, he calls the devil, the thief. So Jesus is saying quite a lot in these little verses. Some theology and some praxis, some about how to live our lives. The theological point he's making is not a complicated one. It's not one that you need to have a degree in theology to to work out. He says in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He says, if you want to be a Christian... If you want eternal life, the only way you get it is coming through me. I am the gate. There is no other way. And in case 
in John, in John chapter 10 and verse 9, you don't think that's clear enough. He then says a few chapters later in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God, gets to the Father, apart from through me. A bold thing to say, isn't it? Some people think that Jesus was a great prophet, a great sage, but that was it. Jesus never professed that. In fact, if he was that, then what he said here was blasphemous and scandalous. But Jesus professes to be God, to be God incarnate, God the Son. And he says in these verses, if you want eternal life, you get it through me. And in verse 11 of our reading, we find out what he's willing to do, like his part of the deal. And he says the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Jesus part of the deal, I'll die so that you can have everlasting life and an abundant life here and now on earth. Not a bad deal. But you know, I think all that that I've said is not news to most of you. That's basically the Christian story, isn't it? Jesus died so that we may live. That's the Christian story. So I want to focus far more on the practical side of things here. I want to get very, very practical. On a practical basis, Jesus sets up two different scenarios. He says, let me tell you what the devil's job is. It's to steal, kill, and destroy life. Let me tell you my job. It's to give you an abundant life. That's the two stories. The devil's job, my job. Not my job, Jesus' job. Yeah? So let me paraphrase the devil's job. The job of evil is to make your life the pits. To make you feel worthless. To steal your identity. To steal your value. To make your life rubbish. That is the job of evil. You know, I read a great book by Robbie Dawkins. It's called The Identity Thief. And the little subheading says... Exposing Satan's plan to steal your purpose, your passion, and your power. It's a great book that talks about the, the, the role of evil in destroying the hopes of humanity, of your friends, of your family, potentially of yourself. I've used the word evil there on purpose. Let me expand on that word. I believe there's basically three different realms of evil. Come on. I, I can wait. Was it? Is it better? <laughs> You've got bored already. You've got <laughs> Listen, absolutely. Don't worry in the slightest. 
So there's three different realms of evil. Realm number one is the devil himself, Lucifer, the morning star, right? He is an angel. That's what he is. That's what he is. He is an angel. He's a fallen angel, but that's what he is. That's what type of being he is. And we know what angels can and can't do. He can be in one place at one time. And as I've said many times before, I doubt anybody here is good enough or bad enough to be bogged or encouraged by the devil. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, the thief, whatever you want to call him, can only be in one place in this world. And to give that as a caricature, he's probably encouraging Putin or having a go at the Pope or another wonderfully godly person like Katie Porter or something like that, you know. Now, the chances of any of us ever coming across the devil is absolutely remote. So don't worry about him. And guess what? He can't do anything to you anyway. We're just told to resist him. Just stand for him and don't worry about him. I've heard people say, just shrug him off. He's a bit stupid anyway, the devil. He is a bit stupid because he thinks he's beating Jesus. You know, so don't give him too much credit, but you probably won't come across him. But you may come across the second level because the second level is demons. Now, what are demons? Demons are angels. The Bible would indicate that when, when Satan was cast out of God's presence... He took about a third of the angels with them. And they now don't follow God's command. They follow Satan's command. But demons, we know what they are. We know what kind of being they are. They are angels. They're not omnipresent. They can't be in more than one place. They're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. I'm not disparaging them. Angels are pretty amazing things. But we understand, we can read the Bible and find out what they can and can't do. And angels may come and bug you. They may come and remind you about things that, that you say about yourself. That's a possibility. But the third level of evil is the one that you have to fight every day of your life. And the third level of evil is what the Bible refers to as your fallen nature, your human nature. Adam's nature, whatever you want to call it, it's what's going on in your own mind. That is where your battle exists. And that is where evil works. The primary way that the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy your life is in your mind. You know, I once spoke to the diocesan exorcist. I say that with lots of jealousy because I think that is so cool. And also, I think he did this on purpose. He had on a long black coat. His name wasn't Neil, but you know, you know, he looked so cool. Can you imagine a business card that says on it, you know, hi, I'm the I'm Rob, I'm the diocesan exorcist. He didn't go, I'm the exorcist. He didn't do that. I would have probably done that as well, to be honest. But, but I, I spoke to him. He came to my house. And I, I asked him about his job. And he said, I very rarely 
come across demons. And a bit nonchalantly, he said, they tend to run away when I get anywhere in the vicinity. He said, but I deal on a daily basis with people who are suffering the consequences of their evil nature, who are feeling broken, unfulfilled, permanently sad, crushed. The job of the devil is to steal, kill and destroy life. Just to be clear here, I'm not having a go that anybody who suffers from the medical condition of depression, that chemical imbalances in some people's brains. I'm not having a go at that. I'm having a go at the 99.9% of other people. And I would also say that we do worship a God who is the God of miracles. And in any situation, we can still claim and ask for healing. But we are being constantly bombarded with negative information about ourselves. From our teachers, from our family, from our friends, more and more these days from social media. But the major one, the primary one, is yourself. We pull ourselves down on a regular basis. We believe the lies that others say about us, that we say about ourselves, instead of the truth that God says about us. The truth that Jesus says. When I used to do the discipleship course, I used to put up a, a list of verses that tells you what God thinks about you. And I'm going to put up a chunk of these now. And I want you just to meditate on them and look at them. So the first set says this. I am significant. And what I've put up on that screen there is a whole bunch of Bible verses now, I've just changed it, changed it into the first tense from most of them are in the third tense in the Bible. So all I've done is change it to the first tense. This is what God thinks of you. And I find these verses very, very powerful. That one, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6... I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created to do good things, good works. This is how God sees you. I'm not sure if it's how you see yourself. Another set of verses says, I am secure. Once again, I want you just to look at these verses. This is the truth. These are the words of God. These are Christ's words and the words of Paul and the words words we believe inspired by God. This is where we can get our security from. Not from image, not from looks, not from sexuality, not from job, not from anything else. Our security comes from how we are perceived by God and who we are in God. And finally, there's another set there that says, I am accepted. A massive problem in our world is people striving for acceptance and doing so much to fit in, to feel accepted. The truth is, is that God accepts you based on what Christ has done for you. 
If anybody wants these verses, just email me and ask me for them. My, my, my email address is on church suite. If you don't know what that means, just come and see me afterwards and ask me and I'll take down your email address. I would encourage you to have these verses somewhere visible. This is the truth about how you are perceived by God, but maybe not how you're perceived by yourself or by others. But you have to decide what you believe. You have to decide your attitude. Not on your own, with the help of God through all three parts of the Trinity. You know, I read a book last year by by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and he was a a psychologist as well and obviously a, a Jew. And he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. I'd advise you to read it. It's a powerful, provocative book. And he said this. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. You know, in his book, Man's Search for Meeting, and he's written other books as well, he realised in Auschwitz, people were faced with exactly the same set of circumstances. Some crumbled and some didn't. And the difference was their attitude to their current set of circumstances. Choosing a positive, hopeful attitude is not always easy. But it is the best way to live your life. You know, I was in my gym on Friday. And in my gym on the wall, I saw this poster. So I took a picture of it. In fact, you can just see me in the mirror taking that picture Um, so I took a picture of it it's not completely correct this poster but it's nearly correct if you think you can you can if you think you can't you're right now hopefully you get the idea of that poster now the poster's wrong if you think you can there's a significantly greater chance that you can but that's not a great poster, is it, that one, right? You know, I don't want you remembering this wrongly, right? If you think you can, there's still some things you can't do. Don't jump out of a plane without a parachute thinking you can fly, yeah? It won't work. Positive thinking doesn't get you everywhere, yeah? But having a right attitude is very, very helpful. <clears throat> As Frankl said... In the end, your attitude is up to you. We need to stop believing the lies that we hear each day in our ears, mainly from ourselves. These lies that aim to steal and destroy and prevent us having an abundant life and start believing the truth as revealed in the Bible. Remember, John 10.10 says that Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. That, the Greek word there for abundant means overflowing, effervescent, like a chemical reaction that can't be contained inside the beaker. That's an abundant life. I was told when I was younger, if you can't change your circumstances, like Viktor Frankl, you can change your attitude. 
That is in your control, as Viktor Frankl said. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you'll know what God's good and perfect will is. He's saying, change the way you're thinking. Think the way you were meant to think. Renew your mind. Get your mind put back to how it should be, how it was. And then you'll be able to walk in God's will. We need to think differently. This freedom to live an abundant life is not gained for us easily. Jesus reminds us in verse 11 that it will cost him his life in order for us to have life. This freedom, this ability to think differently from the natural way, from our fallen nature, that is how he wants us to think. So in conclusion, if you want an abundant life, live a life with Jesus as your shepherd. Don't believe the lies that others and mainly yourself says about you. You know, psychologists believe it takes 10 positive words of affirmation to balance out one negative word. How many positive things do you say about yourself and do you say to your friends and family compared to the negative things? Finally, believe the truth about yourself as revealed in the scriptures. Trust what God says about who you are and what you can be. Thank you.